Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. I was praying the other day, and this just dropped into me. I don't know. Um, I don't know what what relevance it had even to my prayer at the time, but I felt the Lord just dropped this into me, and I had I had written some of it on Friday evening, and then I spent much of yesterday morning through to the afternoon early afternoon time, and had it finished, um, and then I was able to relax a little after that. But let's turn to Luke 17. Verse 11, please. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And he entered into a certain village. There met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. He fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Father, again we ask, take your word and inscribe it into our breast, into our spirit, and imprint it upon our minds. Help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to speak on lessons from the ten lepers, cleansed, healed, or made whole. And when the Lord is passing through, it says here, in the midst, verse 11, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. The word through there really means along the border between Galilee and Samaria. You remember in John 4, the Lord must needs go through Samaria where he met the woman at the well. And we also remember whenever he's giving the parable of the good Samaritan, he's relating it to himself, yet he is not a Samaritan. The idea being is that the, the northern kingdom of the house of Israel, they occupied this area. So you're talking around 721 BC, they were taken away captive by Shalmaneser, the Assyrian king. And they were taken away because of their sin. They were taken away because God sent prophets like Hosea and Amos and Elijah and Elisha, to name a few, to the northern kingdom, the ten-tribe northern kingdom in the house of Israel. So around 721 BC, they're taken away captive, never to return again as a nation. Now all these years later, we find our Lord Jesus is going through that area. Remember, he's known as the Galilean. Most of his ministry was Galilee. And of course, he's Galilee on the border of Samaria. Those are the three main areas, Judea, 
Samaria and Galilee. Now he's heading toward Jerusalem, of course, where he will be crucified to redeem us. But notice here, strange, there are ten lepers. Ten lepers showing in Scripture. We'll look at it as we go through this. Leprosy is sin. And we find here, noticing it because one was a Samaritan, it gives the idea that this man is, if you want, he typifies the ancient northern kingdom that's no more, who did not obey the word of God and were carried away, and we find them in their sin. So we find then that these ten lepers represented the ten tribe northern kingdom. Notice here in verse 14 it says, And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed after crying unto the Lord. And then in verse 15, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice and glorified God. Notice only the one turned out of the ten. And then in verse 19 it says, And he, the Lord Jesus, said unto him, the one who turned back, Arise, go thy way, thy faith Thy faith has made thee whole. So what we want to look at is here they represent the nation of Israel at that time. Or pardon me, the time before the carrying away. Here now, you'll read, when you go home or when you have a chance during the week, read 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12. And you'll read of the separation of the kingdoms. Then if you want, go to 2 Kings chapter 17, and you'll find when the kingdoms are carried, or the northern kingdom is carried away, what the Assyrians did was they put other people in their place, and so as they couldn't return back to the land. So this was ancient Israel's ancient homeland. So notice here, we are going to look first of all at Doctor Luke, who has uh, written this gospel. Is it strange, or maybe it is or isn't, that Luke throughout the Gospels, he tends to look uh, or to lean to, closely into the Lord Jesus Christ, the physical side of Christ, the physical side. His healing, his life, and he looks at the ministry sometimes in greater detail than the other two synoptic Gospels which are Matthew and Mark. Luke is the third synoptic gospel. And it means to see with the same eye. Basically, that's what it means. They're giving it like the three evangelists are writing it with the same eye. John's is different. and He's not a synoptic gospel. Notice here, but it, Luke writes a sequel to the gospel. So the book of Luke, if you want to know what the sequel is, read the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written by Luke also. So we're finding here that, that Luke writes about the life, the work, and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the book of Acts, what he's doing is he's looking at the continued life, ministry, and work of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit and the Apostles. Hence we have that gospel today. Hence we are the recipients of of that word. And so there's a, a glimpse in this story, or nar- narrative today, of the ten lepers, one returned to give thanks, one glorified God, and he alone was made whole. That's very important this morning. I find here that there's a, a type then. If the ten 
represented the nation. And you'll find that in the United Kingdom, Britain, Ireland today. You'll find that in the United States. You'll find it in Canada and so on. You will find this. Notice the nation who are in sin. In sin. Lepers in sin. You'll find strangers taking it over. Strangers taking the land. And all because of their sin. That's what's happening to Britain. That's what's happening even to Ulster tonight, today. And notice here, you'll find here that there's one, as it were, returns to give thanks and glory to God. And this one is a type of the redeemed, blood-washed, elect church who are in the nation. They are the body of Christ giving thanks unto God when the rest have walked away from him. For example, let me show you in the New Testament, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And the Apostle Paul is writing, this Roman book of Romans is a masterpiece. And notice what he writes in verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. He says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What? Ye not what the scripture says of Elias, or that is Elijah. How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, The Lord, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone and they seek my life. Church, have you ever felt like that? You ever felt sometimes the way things are going in our nation that the church and the things that are coming against the church, that is the ecclesia, the called out ones of God, the true blood-washed church, and that you feel sometimes you're the only one left. Sometimes you feel that, that the church is winning when all the time the Lord Jesus is, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And notice here, Elijah felt the same in a nation who had turned away from God. This is the northern house of Israel Elijah was in. And that time he gets the 450 prophets of Baal and they build their altars and God's fire comes down and licks up and burns up the altar of the Lord in Israel. And that was to this area where Jesus is in Luke 17. And Elijah then after this, he feels, well, there's only I, only I am left. And notice what it says here in Romans chapter 11. Verse 4, what, but what saith the answer of God unto him? What does God say to you this morning? What does God say to the believer this morning? What does God say to the church this morning? That is, those of us who are blood-washed, redeemed with the blood, blood-bought church. Notice, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal or Baal, whatever way you want to pronounce it. And what God tells us this morning is he has a remnant left. He has a remnant in Ulster. He has a remnant in the United Kingdom. He has a remnant in Ireland. He has a remnant in Europe. He has a remnant in the United States, when we see all that's going on and the whole, all of the, the, the burning and the looting and the rising up 
of these uh, these parties, uh, the, the, these like the BLM and the Antifa and all of these things, they're all being funded by George Soros and those sort of people. You're being funded by these uh, elitist, mainly what they call themselves, they're Jewish bankers, they're Jews, but they are not Jews, but are the synagogue of Satan. And we sometimes feel we're up against it. Especially in this moment and in this hour and in this day. Our nation seems so hard against the gospel. Our people seem not only so hard against the gospel, but they hate the gospel. And they hate Christ. And they hate what we speak. And they hate us for it. But God says, I am raising up a remnant. A people who would rather die than give in. And brothers and sisters, God is speaking to you this morning. He's saying to you, be faithful. Be strong and of a good courage. Be faithful in the Lord. Be faithful to the Lord. And he says, don't be afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And so we have to be strong We have to be faithful. We have to keep ourselves in the love of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we find here that there are those who have bowed the knee unto the image of Baal. They have been bound to Baal from time, eons, ages past. They were bowing the knee unto Baal in the scriptures. It was the prophets of Baal that Elijah slew. After God, Yahweh, Jehovah God came and burned up his altar. I've spoken on it before, I'll do it another time. And here there was the ministry to the nation. Twelve stones, twelve barrels of water. See, and he builds it and he puts the sacrifice on the altar and the fire comes down. Representing twelve tribes. So it was, here is the nation's help. Here is the nation's blessing. Here is the nation's redemption through the blood, through this altar, and many still refused. But God said to Elijah, when he was feeling at his worst, when he was feeling at his lowest, and when he was down, he says, Elijah, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. The image of Baal was raised up through the scriptures, through the Assyrians, through the Babylonians, right through the, 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 the Romans, the pagan Romans. And the, the Baal worship was raised up then in the church of Rome. And we find it right through. And then along comes, as it were, the Protestant Reformation. And we find that God is raising up the people again. He's bringing out the elect. He's drawing out his people. He's calling them through the gospel. He's bringing them through the word. And there he's sending forth the spirit. Brothers and sisters, do you know? Do you know that the Protestant Reformation was the biggest move of the Holy Ghost since the day of Pentecost? And nowadays Christians are afraid to mention it. And some of the charismaniacs, they're joining in with it. They're joining it, brothers. They're joining it, sisters. And they're becoming one with the the Baal worshippers. 
And the Baal worship has now invaded into our nation and into our people. And all of our people are saying that we are the ones who are evil now. And that which is good is evil and now evil is good. They're sacrificing our children from the womb to Baal. They're murdering and they're committing infanticide with the abortions up to birth. And we're finding now it's increasing and it's gathering momentum. And you see these, these elitists, these one-worlders, the new world order is coming and encroaching and growing and growing. And this uh, revived Roman Empire thinks it's doing great and it's doing well. But I've something to tell you, Christ is still on the throne and he's coming back again. He has never relinquished his power. He has never relinquished his power, brother, sister. Listen, do not be discouraged and do not be afraid because as he said to Elijah to the house of Israel, he says unto his church today, he says, for I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Look at verse 5. Even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. This is the man typified who returns to give thanks to Jesus. He receives as it were, he sees as it were, the election of grace in his life. Why are you here this morning? What brought you here this morning? Why are you saved this morning? How did you get saved all those years? Or maybe it was relatively close from now. When you got saved, how were you saved? I'll tell you, you were saved according to the election of grace. You were saved according to the grace of God when He chose you and He called you. He regenerated you, quickened you, and He drew you by His Spirit right to the cross of Christ. And there you find, there you find your salvation and redemption through the blood of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, what a gospel. What a gospel we have. And we should never be ashamed, nor should we ever be afraid to send forth this gospel from our mouths and from our lips. Notice verse 6. And if by grace... Then is it no more of works. Otherwise grace is no more of grace. But if it be of works. Then it is no more of grace. Otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. Notice. But the election hath obtained it. And the rest were blinded. The rest were blinded. We obtained that election of grace. Do you know why there are people who die without Christ? It's because they're blinded. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. They're blinded brothers. They're blinded sisters. And only a sovereign move of God on the heart only a sovereign move of God on their heart will enable them to see themselves as sinners 
to cry for mercy and to turn on to God and give him glory. You and I could do nothing of ourselves. Absolutely nothing of ourselves. Notice here as I finish in Romans 11. Verse 8. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should see not, and ears that they should hear not unto this day. So God is the God who shuts eyes and opens eyes. There's people say, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Oh, I love to know the sovereignty of God. Oh, how I love the sovereignty of God. But I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, when it comes to swallowing tough meat, they don't like the sovereignty of God. But the sovereignty of God doesn't change whether we like it or not. God is sovereign at all times. So we see a type in Luke's gospel of nine lepers not returning thanks and one turning to give thanks. See the nine lepers? They were under what was known or what is known as common grace. Common grace. Or the Dutch reformers called it general grace. So this morning if a farmer who's saved and a farmer who is unsaved and they were uh, harvesting their fields or planting, you know, the same, they get the same crop. God done it all. They are under common grace. The unsaved are, have food on their table. They have clothes on their back. And every good gift that they have received has been by common grace of God. Some even seemingly doing better than you sometimes. The unsaved being richer than you. Brothers and sisters, they're not richer than you. The richness is in here. The richness is according to the salvation of the soul. You and I are joint heirs of God with Christ. You and I are ruling and reigning positionally, as it were, in Christ. You and I have a kingdom, have an inheritance, and you and I are redeemed. And we'll never stand in the judgment of God. We'll never be in the lake of fire which burneth forever and ever. We'll be in the kingdom and the glory of God's heaven. We're rich this morning. Brothers and sisters, take note at this thing. Take note and take it in this morning. If you have nothing in your pocket but Christ in your heart, You're the richest man. You're the most wealthiest woman that this world can afford. You see, brothers and sisters, God hath called you unto a greater thing. Notice here. Now, I note this. Here we find they're living in common or general grace. Common or general grace is when he gives all to everyone. So we all live. The rain will fall on the unsaved and the saved, the just and the unjust this morning. The crops will grow and they'll go to the same supermarket up next door here uh, and they'll buy their food the way you will because God has afforded common grace. But saving grace, electing grace, as Paul has spoken about, is completely different this morning. That's when God in his grace has reached you, has reached into your very dead heart right through your very depravity and grabbed hold of you and quickened you by his spirit and you 
were born again. You were Christ's. See, brothers and sisters, we have to differentiate when we speak of grace. We all live in common grace. But you and I live with amazing grace. We live with saving grace. So this one received something different. In our, re- in our reading, the, nine, or the ten lepers represent the house of Israel, but one represented those who were being saved, the elect church or ecclesia. Notice here again, Luke 17 and verse 14. As they went, they were cleansed. This is when they shouted to Christ. Verse 15, and when he saw that he was healed, this is the one who turned back. And verse 19, Jesus said, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now, I doubt I'm going to get there much this morning. I may have to do another week. Now, note this. The details are so defined in this narrative by Dr. Luke. Probably because he was a doctor. A doctor is meant to be more meticulous, especially about the person's body. And so look, we're told even by Paul in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. He calls him Luke the beloved physician. Luke the beloved physician. And again, Paul mentions him in 1 Timothy 4 and 11. When all others had really forsaken Paul in his prison house. He says, only Luke is with me. So Luke was faithful. Luke was meticulous. Luke was a physician or a doctor. Now remember, it's Luke and only Luke who speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ in his gospel, chapter 22 and verse 44, of our Lord sweating as it were great drops of blood. He's the only one that does it. The doctor zooms in. See, the Holy Spirit causes him to zoom in on this. For example, Luke 22 and 44 says, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. This is the Lord Jesus in Gethsemane. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. The blood of our Lord Jesus was as great drops of blood falling to the ground. The sweat that was. The word there for great drops of blood is thrombos. It's where we get thrombosis from. So it's the word thrombos. It means large, thick drop of clotted blood. Now sometimes you hear, oh, it was just sweat and it was a little tainted red, a little pink maybe, you know, because of the capillaries maybe bursting. No, that's not what it means. Thrombos, from thrombosis means clotted, thick, heavy blood. That's what came from the Savior's brow. That's the sweat that poured forth from him. Notice this here. There's a, a, an, an illness, and it's been verified by doctors, although it is very rare, and it's called hematohydrosis, where people under severe strain and pressure can sweat, as it were, or break the arteries, capillaries, and they actually bring forth blood from their very body. 
Sometimes their eyes, mostly from their head. Through this stress, Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane was in such agonies. He was in such stress that this thrombus, these great drops of thick, heavy, clotted blood dropped to the ground from him. And it was Dr. Luke is the only one who mentions this or we wouldn't have this beautiful picture, this wonderful narrative of what Christ went through in the garden, even if we can just imagine a little of it. Notice, you see the Spirit pointing Luke to Christ. Notice the Spirit pointing Luke to Christ. John 16 and verse 14 Listen to what the Savior said about the coming of the Holy Spirit. For he shall glorify me, Jesus said. The Holy Spirit, he shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The Spirit here even points, Luke, points the apostles, should point every preacher should point every Sunday school teacher, youth leader, should point every Christian believer, the Spirit of God, he should always point us to Christ. Now listen, I'm a Pentecostal. Unashamed of it, I'm not a charismaniac. And I didn't make, I meant what I said, because some of them are just full of hot air. And a lot of nonsense. That's just the truth. A lot of hogwash. Unfortunately, we all get tarred with the same brush. It's all about, let's see what the Spirit's doing. I I want the Spirit to move. I want the Spirit in the meeting. Let's see what the Spirit's doing. We want that. We need that. But there's no Jesus in it. There's no Christ. He's maybe through in at the tail end of what someone says. The Spirit, it's not about people, and I've mentioned it too, I'm not pointing at anyone, but people talk about, oh, what a meeting, a Holy Ghost meeting. And yes, that's what we need, and I look for that. But listen, it's not about a Holy Ghost meeting. What about a Jesus enamored, a Jesus loving people? Loving Christ, knowing Christ, obeying Christ, walking with Christ. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So Luke, the Apostle Paul and Luke, now looking through the Spirit, writing about the great drops of blood. Do you know what the hymn writer said? The Spirit answers to the blood. The Spirit answers to the blood. The Spirit answers to the blood and tells me I am born of God. Brother, sister, are you born of God? Let me show you. I'll do part two early next week. Let me show you something here. Luke being a doctor 
Luke being a doctor, is able to zoom in on these things. For example, God uses the gifts and the talents that he has given us. And they may have been, if you want, refined or they may have been honed in the world. Before conversion. And when we're saved, he may get those. And when we're saved, sealed, and sanctified by the Spirit, he takes that and he can use that for his glory. He can use that for his kingdom. For example, Matthew was a tax collector, and there he meticulously writes down the physical lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see him at the seat of custom writing down what people's names were and who they were, what they earned and what they, should, what they owed? Can you see him writing that meticulously? Now, with the Spirit using that, he writes down the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he goes right back to Abraham. In fact, if you go to Mark's gospel, don't go to it now, but if you go to Mark's gospel, Mark doesn't give us the lineage of Christ. Mark has us, the first we see the Lord Jesus, there he is appearing at the banks of the river Jordan. No life before it, no Bethlehem, none of that. He just appears at the river Jordan. And there John the Baptist baptizes him, 30 years of age. That's where Mark starts off. Matthew, as I said, brings us right down in his physical lineage to Abraham. Luke, the doctor, brings us further back to Adam. And then when you go to John, John brings us right into eternity. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. So all of these things can be used. For example, the Lord Jesus in the Gospels, we'll read, just take a reading from Matthew 4, verse 19. He sees the fishermen. And he cries unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to use you to fish for men. But listen, some people say, well, you know, it's just a saying. It wasn't a saying. Jesus was fulfilling a prophetic scripture. Did you know that? Turn with me to Jeremiah 16. On verse 16, he was, by actually saying that, he was actually showing himself, he was showing his deity, he was showing he was God. Jeremiah 16 and verse 16. Notice this. He says, this is Yahweh says to Israel, this is to mainly Judah now. The, north, the southern kingdom, behold, I will send for many fishers. Notice. And they will, shall fish them, and I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain, and from every hill, and out of the holes of the rocks. Jesus just didn't walk along, see fishermen, and think, oh, here's a nice saying, follow me, I'll make you become fishers of men. He was doing what he said to Jeremiah to the house of Judah. I'll send fishers. And I'll send hunters. Let me finish in this point. Because time's running on. Let me finish in this point. There's so much more I want to show you. For example. In Revelation chapter 10. 
Revelation chapter 10 is the chapter of the Protestant Reformation with the open Bible. The Bible being printed. People say, well, how do you work that out? Well, I've already preached on it once or twice. You can look it up online. But look at verse 2 just for time's sake. Read it when you go home. We see this angel that says he has one foot on the land. He has one foot in the sea. He has one foot pointing to heaven. And there he holds a little open book. This is showing, representing the Lord Jesus Christ as a sovereign Lord, God Almighty. Land and sea, fishers and hunters. Land and sea, fishers and hunters. Pointing to heaven, the bread of God which came down from heaven. The little book open. What is that little book? It was the Bible. The open Bible. The Bible was always chained to the pulpit. The poor people couldn't read it, but they couldn't take it away. It was written in Latin. And they were accursed if they tried to read the Bible without a priest's interpretation. But then came the Reformation, and then came the, the, the written word, the little book that was open. Listen, I always have this. I'll show you. Every Bible I've had, I've jotted this down. You can just see some of the writing there. Tell you what it is. It's how our Bible came into being in a few short lines. I wrote it in my last Bible and wrote it again. It just keeps me in remembrance. Let me read this to you. In 1453 was the flight of the Greek scholars into Western Europe. In 1454 was the invention of the printing of printing in Holland and in Germany. In 1458, the Greek language first was taught in European universities. 1476, Caxton introduces printing to England. 1516, Erasmus printed his Greek New Testament. 1518, Zwingli printed the first Swiss New Testament. 1522, Luther's New Testament in German. 1526, Tyndale's English New Testament and the Swedish Bible. 1537, the Bible was written for Dan- in Danish. 1539 was the great Bible placed by royal command in every church. That was by Henry VIII. And then 1611, the King James authorized Bible. The little book was opened. The little book was opened. All fulfilled as the scriptures tell us. The little book went across God. Not only had they to write it meticulously, line by line, word by word, but what did God do? God sent a man along who was saved and then learned how to print the words and put them out in multiple copies. Hence, we had the open Bible. It was right across to our people. Europe, Scandinavia, the British Isles, and we carried it across the world. Brothers and sisters, notice this. I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. I will send for many hunters. In our Lord Jesus' day, we're told, he says unto his disciples in Matthew 10 and verse 15. I read it, just jot it down and read it later. Verses 5 and 6. It says, These twelve sent Jesus forth and commanded them, saying, Notice, Go not into the way of the Gentiles. 
into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. Verse 6 says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so the gospel started to come forth. Notice, in Luke 17 and verse 12, there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. Ten men which were lepers which stood afar off. This tells me something. Note, the Spirit says, notice, there met him ten men that were lepers. Notice, ten men that were lepers. God's seen the person. God's seen the man. He's seen him in his leprosy. And this I close. We'll start there, God willing, next week. It's so easy for you and I to dehumanize people. To dehumanize them. Sometimes we dehumanize people because they're different than us. Sometimes we dehumanize people because they think different than us. No feelings, no hurt. Sometimes we dehumanize people because they even wear a uniform. How come it's all right to murder the police in America, but yet it's not all right to murder a criminal or to kill a criminal in action? Because what happened there happened here in Ulster. The IRA dehumanized the soldiers in their uniform. They didn't see someone's son. They didn't see someone's husband. They didn't see someone's brother or sister. They dehumanized them because they saw the uniform. Sometimes we can even dehumanize people because of their sexual orientation. And as much as we, according to the scriptures, disagree with it, they are still human beings. Someone's son, daughter. We must be careful, brothers and sisters, not to dehumanize one another. Because God sees the person. God sees the man and the woman. Sometimes because we've got cross or angry or disagreed with them or something's been said, we just hold a grudge and we hate them. That's murder in your heart. You know something? Jesus didn't say we were to like one another. He said we were to love one another. By the way, there were people in Ulster who were dehumanized and murdered by loyalist paramilitaries too because of who they were. I have to be honest here. We have to be honest. You can't dehumanize people because of who they are. But love them and reach them with the gospel. 
And if they reject that, we're going to look at the cleansing next week. The cleansing, the healing, and the made whole is completely different. Completely different. Brothers and sisters, may God bless his word to us this morning. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.